today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. How can disobedience be like witchcraft? I mean, witchcraft is that's just really, really wicked and evil. Well, so is not hearing and listening and obeying the voice of God. And when we get to the point where God says, you need to go to the right, we say, no, I want to go to the left. And we continue to push to the left while God is calling us to this side. And I'm not speaking conservative, liberal, right, wing, left wing. I'm talking about the direction that the Lord is speaking. And we start going just the other direction. Oh, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And we continue going the other way. When you hear the voice of God, do you listen and obey his leading? Not doing so leads to disobedience. In his message today, Pastor David shares how this kind of rebellion is the same as any other sin. You may not follow God's leading because you think you know a better way, or you doubt that God knows what is best for you. However, The Lord knows the plans He has for you, and they are good plans. So instead of thinking you know better than God, obey the voice of our Sovereign Lord. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4 as he continues his message, Commitment, Faithfulness, Disobedience, and a Divine Call. Philistines actually captured the ark from them, took it from them. I, I can't imagine the, the shock and awe at that point in time for the Israelis. How can that even happen? They have our God. And that was their mindset. Because within their mindset, that ark contained the power and the might of Almighty God. Philistines captured the ark. And in the process, they ended up killing both of Eli's sons. And then upon hearing about the death of his sons and the capture of the ark, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 18, Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. Well, once the Philistines received the ark, it was nothing but trouble for them. And, and again, the amazing events that the Lord reveals to us through his word, they placed the ark there in their house of worship, the house of Dagon, and they put it there at the feet of Dagon, their, the, the statue of, of their God. And so they said, there, that shows you. Their, their God is bowing down to our God. They came back the next morning and the statue of Dagon had fallen over in front of the God of Israel, in front of the ark. So I thought, well, it must have been an accident, a big wind or something. Let's prop him back up. The next day they came back 
And not only had he fallen, but both of his arms were broken and his head was knocked off too. And so they figured, okay, this is not working out the way that we had planned it. So they decided we're going to take it out of the house of Dagon and we're going to move it someplace else. Not only that, but the people of the Philistines began to break out in these boils and these tumors. And some say it would have been actually similar to the bubonic plague as, again, this great outbreak of rats also came upon the land at the same time. You want to mess around with the true God of Israel, the Lord God, Jehovah? It's not going to be pretty for you. And so with this outbreak of the rats, the outbreak of these boils and these tumors, after an effort just simply to, to move the ark to another place, The Philistines finally decided, no, you know what we need to do? We need to send the ark back and we need to send it back with gifts from us. Gee, what do we want to send as gifts to the people of Israel? They must have put a lot of thought in it. And so they decided what we'll do is we'll make little golden rats and little golden tumors or buboes and send them back with the ark. And so that's what their plan was. But chapter seven tells us the ark never made it back all the way to Shiloh. It remained at Kirjath Jerem for 20 years. They're in Israel, but not in Shiloh. But it was during that time that Samuel led the people of Israel on this short-lived revival and even a battle against the Philistines, and the Lord provided a victory for them. Then in chapter eight, we get the introduction to the children of Samuel. Now you would have thought that he would have learned a lesson or two while he was under the household of Eli, at least how not to raise your children. But look there in chapter eight, verse three describes his children. They did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes. They perverted justice. Then verse four, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you're old. At least they didn't say you're old and fat. It's just that you're old. You're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Beloved, I submit to you that they didn't do that just by words, but they did that by the actions of their lives. And they had been doing that for years and years. When they ever got to that point of every man doing what was right within his own eyes, they had already rejected God. God raised up a godly judge, priest, leader for the country, but they wouldn't even receive that. So the Lord allowed them to have a Saul, a choice and handsome son of Benjamin as their king. Saul started out great, though. 
He started out humble. He started out God-fearing. He started out God-honoring. He started out able to, to lead the people. At least that's how he started out. And they actually won some battles against the Philistines. And it seemed like everything was going good. But the victories and, and, and Saul started gathering to himself greater armies and greater riches, just as Samuel had warned them. You get a king, that king is gonna take all your best men for his army. That king is gonna take all of your young women to serve in his court. That king is going to take your money, taxes, to be able to support his kingdom. And that's exactly what Saul began to do. And as Saul's power grew, so did Saul's hat size. His head got bigger. Arrogant, pride, all these things, his ego continued to grow. He ignored the warnings and the commands of God as Samuel would come to him time and time again saying, this is what you need to do. And then Saul would do something totally different. He was unable even to the point of leading or directing the people in battle over and over. We find times where Saul himself is absolutely frozen, not able to do a thing while the Philistines were doing whatever they wanted. And then we find his son, Jonathan, in the midst of the time when his dad is incapacitated, unable to do anything. Jonathan shows himself more capable than his father as Jonathan and his armor bearer go out and they defeat a company of the Philistines while his father is frozen with fear and insecurities. We flip all the way over to chapter 15. In the midst of all of his insecurities, God continues to work and Israel does still win some battles. Samuel tells him that the Lord God would give them the victory over the Amalekites. But down in verse three, he says, but you have to utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, Both kill both men and women, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. And that's exactly what Saul did not do. As a matter of fact, in verse nine, we read, Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything that was despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Still in chapter 15, Saul tries to give excuses for all of his disobedience. But Samuel's response to Saul's excuses, his excuses for not being obedient are as true for us today, guys, as they were 3,000 years ago. Look at what he says, verse 22. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, in church attendance, in tithings, serving in ministry. Does the Lord have his great delight in us going through the motions as in simply obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed the voice of the Lord, than the fat of rams. 
And he places rebellion right in this point of not listening, not obeying God. He says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Samuel goes on to tell Saul there in verse 23, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. How easy it is for us to look and say, a guy out on the street that's doing drugs, that's so far away from the Lord, man, he is just so far away from the Lord. Those people that are doing this or doing that or have this kind of a lifestyle or that kind of a lifestyle, they've chosen alternate lifestyles, how far they are away from the Lord. But beloved, if there's anything that we ought to get from the book of 1 Samuel in reference to Saul is just going through the motions of our Christianity without truly having a heart for the Lord and being obedient to the Lord. It's just as bad as the sin of a homosexual, a wife beater, an alcoholic, gang member on the streets beating and robbing people. Because you know what? If we're not following the word of the Lord in our lives, then we're apart from the Lord. It doesn't matter what, how far you think. Wow, how can disobedience be like witchcraft? I mean, witchcraft is that's just really, really wicked and evil. Well, so is not hearing and listening and obeying the voice of God. And when we get to the point where God says, you need to go to the right, we say, no, I want to go to the left. And we continue to push to the left while God is calling us to this side. And I'm not speaking conservative, liberal, right wing, left wing. I'm talking about the direction that the Lord is speaking. And we start going just the other direction. Oh, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And we continue going the other way. Just like witchcraft. We had vacation Bible school last week. I met with the children here in, in this room. And with each group over the, over the week, I would tell them, when God tells us to go out this door, and we said, no, I want to go out this door. That's called sin. Even if we say, I'm going to go out that door, but then I'm going to turn around and I'll walk around the building. I'll be over there in a little bit, but right now I'm going to go out that door. That that's sin. And the only way to correct sin is to turn around. We spoke to the kids about repent, what repentance means. It, it doesn't mean just to turn. It means to turn and go the right way, go the way that God has called for us to go. And you see, that never happened in Saul's life. Oh, he made some feeble, feeble efforts but nothing really, and, and nothing completely. And we see this here with this whole deal with, with Agag, the people that, that, again, he did not deal with. The Amalekites, says, says, he, he, he took what he wanted, and then he tried to say, oh, it's the people. You know, the people wanted all that stuff. Who's the leader, Saul? Who is the leader? Verse 35 tells us Samuel went no more to see Saul. Until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted 
that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, there's a lot of theological discussion we could have with that, but this isn't the time or place. The thing that you need to understand is Saul was a choice of the people, but God is about to turn it around and put his choice in leadership over Israel. Although God was finished with Saul, he wasn't finished with Samuel or with Israel as a people. In chapter 16, we see the opening literally of a new chapter in the life of Israel. There in chapter 16, verse 1, says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, the, the priest, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Now go fill your horn with oil and go, and I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Saul was a man of the people's choosing. He was tall, he was handsome. He, he had this powerful personality. But he had never truly been the man of God's choosing. Now God sent Samuel to the little town of Bethlehem to anoint the one who would be the king of Israel. But the Lord warned Samuel. He said, you need to be careful. Verse seven, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What a powerful declaration that is in every aspect. The Lord doesn't look at our outward appearance and we can fool each other all day long, day in and day out. But God knows the depth of our hearts. It remains true today. A man might have great gifts. He might have great abilities. He might be talented. He, he might have a, a great personality. But if his heart is not right with the Lord, he is not the man of God's choosing. So Samuel had an audience with seven of Jesse's tall, strong, and good-looking sons. And each one of them came through. And each time Samuel declared, no, the Lord has not chosen this one. Until finally he had to ask Jesse. It's not like Jesse said, wait, wait, I've got one more. No, Jesse had sent these sons in. Well, that's, that's, that's it. Check from these guys. And so Samuel had to ask him, well, you got to have another son. Oh, well, <laughs> I got David. You know, he's, a, he's out taking care of the sheep right now. I mean, certainly he's not the one. And with that, Samuel says, no, bring him in. He's the one that's going to be anointed as king. Jesse hadn't imagined that his youngest son, that ruddy in complexion, that keeper of sheep, would have been of any value to this prophet of God and particularly not to the people of Israel as their king. And yet, as he called him in, the Lord spoke to Samuel, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah, and then verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Guys, from that point on, 
Saul had this growing animosity between David and they interconnected their lives several times. Uh, the story of Goliath and all of these other events. But jump with me as David is hiding away from Saul. As Saul is trying to, to kill him, God is guarding him. Jump to chapter 22 and we find out that as David is hiding out from Saul, the Lord starts forming an army for David. This is David's mighty men. Chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, verse 1, David escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there with him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men. You look at the guys that, that are there, man. It's all the guys that are discontented. It's all the guys that don't know how to handle money. Every one of them's in debt. They're all, they're all in, in distress of some sort or another. And now here they are. David, here's your mighty men. The, with this, we're gonna conquer Saul. We're gonna gain your throne there over Israel. What a lot they were. What a great description the Bible gives them. And I love how the Bible never pulls any punches at all. These are the guys we're gonna work with. Just like we read of all the, the warts and the scars and the stains on each one of the disciples, and yet God uses those guys, those guys, just like he can use these guys in here, these gals in here. There is no limitation there is no wall, there is no barrier with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the sooner we understand that, the sooner we grasp that, the sooner we become usable vessels within our Father's kingdom. David had a chance to kill Saul a couple of times, but he wouldn't do it because Saul was still the king. He knew, Lord, in your time, in your place, you've already told me I'm going to be the next king I rest in that because David wasn't looking for the position. God called him into that position. Again, Saul got into a final battle against the Philistines. Chapter 31, down in verse eight, it says, and so it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. Their archers had taken out his three sons and the archers had also hit Saul. He was wounded. He knew his wound was unto death. So he asked his armor bearer, take out your sword, run me through, kill me right now so that again, I, w I won't be taken as a wounded prisoner by the Philistines. But his armor bearer wouldn't do it. So Saul pulled out his own sword and fell on it, killed himself. And then his armor bearer took his own sword and he killed himself also along with it. Well, when the Philistines found both Saul and his three sons, they cut off his head. They stripped off all of his armor. They sent word throughout the land to the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. And then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and they fastened his body and the body of his three sons without their heads on the wall of Beth Chain. They celebrated they sacrificed to their pagan gods because they had this great victory. They had taken the king of Israel. And once again, it seemed as though it was all over for the nation of Israel. Just like in Naomi's life, it seemed like it was just going 
from bad to worse to worse, how could it ever recover? For Israel, all these that were slain, now the king and all of his sons are slain. What good can come out of this? But beloved, God had a plan in mind, and that plan's name was David. And God worked in that, and we'll get into that as we get into 2 Samuel next week. As our time with you today winds down, we'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you, too. And I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible right here on The Open Word. Make us more. Like you, as we die soon.